Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I get to sit down and talk with UMass Lowell's Devin McConnell. And Devin's going to really pick up right where he left off from the Coach Me Plus podcast. Um, and the link to that is going to be listed below in the notes. So if you haven't heard it, check that out because it's absolutely killer. But we're going to get into how he's using jump testing and RSI as his readiness monitor. What he does with the athletes when they have pros or cons showing up. And, you know, why he uses this as the message, as the uh, method for them to track readiness. It's really an awesome talk. Devin dives right into it. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Yeah, so we've, uh, we've been using uh, Just Jump Maps to measure uh, reactive strength index. So basically, uh, we have six mats in our room, uh, one for each platform. And before each lift, basically after dynamic warm-up, the first thing the guys do is pull the benches out to the where the mats are and we just do a drop jump um, or depth jump, I forget which is which, but just hands on hips, drop off, land, react, bounce. And um, they do three jumps and basically just record their best, uh, their, their, the jump that has the best height and they're recording the height and the contact time. So out of height and contact time, we can get um, reactive strength index, which is basically just height divided by contact time, and is a measurement of CNS fatigue or readiness or whatever we want to call it. So logistically what we do is that I have an intern usually who takes all that data, I have just clipboards out, the guys are filling it out on clipboards, and then he's going to punch that data in really quick into, we're using Coaching Plus, so we, we punch it into that, and uh, before we do a couple other things, we'll do some whatever, if we're doing speed work or some agility stuff or whatever, five minutes to do some more stuff. By then, everybody's RSI, RSI numbers are in the system. And I have a dashboard set up uh, from Coaching Plus that takes each of those numbers and color codes it relative to their past 30 days rolling average. So whatever they're, we're basically doing it twice a week, once or twice a week. So over the past month, whatever their average RSI number is, the newest one is is color coded based on whether they're um, basically way above average, slightly above average, more or less at average or or below. Um, so it's a blue blue green yellow red kind of system. We put that up on the TV in the weight room, and based on where they fall, uh, they're going to adjust their explosive lift and their primary lower body lift for the day. So typically that's going to be right now some Olympic lift variation. 
and uh, either uh, rear foot elevated split squat uh, or uh, a single leg rack roll. So they're going to adjust uh, either volume or intensity based on where they fell that day from an RSI. So the idea is we're trying to get a look at CNS fatigue or CNS readiness and then adjust our loading based on that. So if they're way above average, then I'm basically giving them the option. They can either increase 10% load on those lifts or they can stay at load and add a set, just add some volume. Um, if they're if they're in green, so they're a little above their average for the month, then it's the same idea. They're just going to increase um, by uh, by about five percent, and or they can they can increase by one set. Uh, and then if they're yellow, they're just staying with what's on the sheet, just what we have programmed. If they're in red, intensity is going to stay the same. I'm always rarely going to cut intensity, but we'll cut cut a set or two out of volume to try to account for that. So that's kind of the background of what we've been doing now for, well, we've been tracking RSI since summer. So we have our guys in um, basically mid-summer on. So we have summer summer two here for six weeks. Uh, and then we have, they go home for two weeks and then a month of preseason, then we're into the season. So we've been tracking RSI since the start of the summer block. And since the beginning of the in season, we've been using it to adjust loads and volumes, intensities and whatnot. Um, and it's, it's been interesting. Usually it's pretty in line with what guys say they kind of feel like. So it's nothing, it's no, it's not a big change. Most of the time, if guys kind of come in and they're just kind of grinding that day, not feeling, not feeling great. Typically it'll reflect that, uh, if they really come, you know, walking in the door and they're bouncing around, typically it will reflect that. But I think with, any of our, you know, data and analytics and all the stuff we're looking at, we're, we're not looking necessarily at the meat of the bell curve. We're trying to find the outliers. And there's definitely some outliers with guys where they walk in and they're just not feeling it, but their jumps are off the chart today for whatever reason. And we say, okay, uh, your system's saying green light. Like, let's just sack up and get after it. Um, and almost always guys by the end of that are like, yeah, you know what? Like I wasn't feeling it, but bar was moving fast, you know, or vice versa. They might be, might be coming in and, you know, on their subjective questionnaire, they're saying they feel pretty good or whatever. Uh, but the colors are, you know, the, the, the RSI is off um, and they back off a little bit. And a day or two later, you know, they tend to be that uh, you don't see, see the drop in uh, their HRV or their subjective scores. Like you might, if you really kind of hit the gas pedal at the wrong time. So it's, it hasn't been like a massive game changer for us, but it's been interesting. And it's, uh, the guys have liked it. It gives them a little bit more, sort of a little bit more autonomy. They can pick and choose a little what they're doing and a little bit more respect to kind of where their system is at, uh, regard, you know, instead of just saying, Hey, we're all, we're all doing this today, you know, cause I have a group of 30 guys. So, um, on an individual, individualization standpoint, um, uh, I, I do have guys in buckets in three, three groups basically, but you know, I'm not individualizing every single program outside of, you know, volumes and intensities, obviously. So it's, it's been good from that regard. All right. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Let's start right back in the beginning. I know you talked a bit on Kevin's podcast, which we're going to put right below because they're doing some great stuff. Kevin and the people at coach me plus helping put out information. 
Can we talk a little bit about why you chose to look at reactive strength index? Uh, so, so it's a couple things. One, uh, we had some just jump mats, so it was sort of it was something that uh, we more or less had access to. I bought two more. We didn't have quite enough to be able to do it efficiently as I wanted to, but we basically had the tools. Um, also, uh, I have a, a good friend, Daniel Martinez, who uh, is doing his, I believe he's just finishing his, his master's program at, at Edith Cohen in Australia. And he's, Daniel's a, he's a strength coach, he's a, if I'm going to pigeonhole him, I guess, and I don't know if he'd like that or not, but he's a, he's a volleyball strength and conditioning coach. Uh, so his, he has an Olympic lifting background and he trains primarily high-end volleyball athletes in Texas. Um, and so he he's really keyed into jump metrics and what they mean and how to analyze them. And he's, he's way beyond, he's doing force plate stuff. And, but uh, his, I believe his thesis at Edith Cohen is or was regarding um, RSI and looking at some different metrics. And a year or two ago, probably a year and a half ago, he really kind of keyed me into this idea that just looking at vertical jump height as a measurement of CNS fatigue could be misleading because basically you could have a guy who jumps, let's say he jumps 30 inches today, and in two weeks he comes back and he jumps 30 inches again. So you say, okay, everything's good, He's, you know, no, no change, he's on track. But what you're missing potentially is the amount of time it takes him or, or the mechanics that he may alter because he is fatigued to maintain that height. We're missing that by not looking at essentially the contact time. So if you're just looking at height, it's better than nothing. But if somebody's fatigued, they might change how they jump in order to still maintain the same or very similar jump height. So if you're not looking at that, you're, you're missing that piece of the equation. And that, again, force plates is really where you get into that. Well, I don't have access to force plates. I don't have that kind of budget. So I said, well, what's the, the next best thing I can do to really look at that? Because I'd used, I'd used vertical jump height as a, as a metric in our program for the last, our, you know, at least five years from the standpoint of a, a readiness perspective. So I'm saying, crap, I, maybe I'm really missing the boat here. Um, and so he talked about, hey, RSI, RSI mod looks at uh, basically this idea of, of not just the height, but also the contact time, or you can also look at flight time. And doing the research on it, it was pretty simple to be able to do it with the just jump mats. I had to buy a different little computer chip that goes into the into the unit, and those were cheap. They were like 40 bucks a piece or something like that. So it's pretty easy to be able to use that. And it was something that was already pretty familiar for our players. Um, we have... Uh, on a, on a kind of ro a rolling basis, we do a, um, some type of jump test every week anyways, whether it be just vert, uh, non-counter movement, four jump, all with the just jump pad. So it was really easy to be able to implement it into our system without a lot of griping, without any kind of big learning curve, just something that we kind of already are, are doing. Um, and then talking with Daniel and looking at his work, really sort of opening my eyes to this idea of, um, looking at that contact time in relation to height uh, to see if there's any any big changes. No, that's awesome. And his name's come up quite a few times when people talk about jumping. So he's um, he's someone we're going to need to bring on here to talk yeah. about this a bit. Yeah. So then looking at the, the drop jump that you're doing, 
Um, is the height fixed? And if so, what is it? The height is fixed. It's just the our, our standard benches, so whatever, the 18 inches or whatever. Um, so that is another piece that I know just in my research is uh, something that is talked about is is adjusting uh, adjusting the height of the of the the box or the bench or whatever you're jumping off of or stepping off of to make sure that you are training within certain thresholds. And I think, um, I mean, I haven't gone down that road necessarily to do that. I think if we were going to use the drop jump specifically to really hone in and train a certain quality, I think that would be really important. Um, but from our standpoint of being able to consistently just monitor change, uh, we've just kept it simple and gone with the standard height. I like it. I like it a lot. I think that that's awesome. And I think that one of the things that's really cool is how it's all basically based off things that you had. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that think that you have to go out and spend, you know, a billion dollars to be able to do these things. But in reality, you took what you had in your weight room and you kept doing basically what you were doing and basically added an equal sign and a division sign to a yeah. spreadsheet and now you're able to monitor at least to a point CNS readiness. Yeah, it's, it's a, a little, little more than, than we, you know, a little more than we had before from a data standpoint, from an understanding standpoint with very minimal uh, kind of cost and, and minimal disruption. You know, so what, one of the things that I really... Uh, you know, we don't have a microwave. We do have, we do use a uh, first feet heart rate system extensively in our program. And one of the things we get out of that is it has a heart rate variability test. So we do subjective questionnaires. Uh, we do session RPEs. So I'm getting subjective information. Uh, we, we use heart rate uh, and we do HRV. So I'm getting uh, some information on both workloads, posts, right? And then um, adaptation, uh, or readiness to the, the autonomic system. But what I didn't have a really good way of looking at or measuring was CNS, really. Uh, so that's why I ended up going down this road because I was looking for one more piece. Again, it wasn't going to be super cost prohibitive because we're, we're not a program with a massive budget um, that was something that guys would be familiar with. It wouldn't be really disruptive. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, you know how it is. The reality is you've got a couple minutes to do stuff if you're going to be able to do it. I can't, you know, we're, I'm in a great situation where I'm 24-7 with the team. Uh, we have our own facility. I get a lot of really, really good things here. But at the end of the day, our window is still really small. You got to get in, you got to get it done. And it can't be something that's just brutal for the guys to have to do all the time. You know, it's twice, once or twice a week, three jumps, um, scribble it down on a piece of paper and then make a couple small tweaks on the way, and it's the reception to it has been good. So you've got six pads, and you have a group of 30 guys. How many groups do you run for the team? We just run one group. Oh, We're sharing okay. one, one big group as a team. Uh, I'm really big on uh, sort of the, the psychology of training trumps the physiology. So even though I, I don't think that we're missing anything significant physiologically, even if we were, uh, I – I want our guys banging it out together, sweating, grinding, seeing each other struggle, overcoming obstacles, all that together. And the way we have things set up 
from an organizational standpoint. Uh, all of our, basically our block as a team is from nine to noon. So we, we get all of our training, video, on ice, everything done in this morning area. And so we really try to coordinate uh, our, our, our weight room training and our on ice work from the standpoint of what type of stress are we applying. Uh, in a general sense, we try to follow sort of a high-low approach. So high days, hard days, we're going to lift. That's going to be the hard day on the ice. Easy days are, you know, we're not lifting. Uh, it's a short, light skate or off. We may, may take a day off, especially as the season goes on. So we really try to follow this high-low approach. So, again, having one big group, which is important to us as a program uh, from a cultural standpoint, uh, being able to get usable information quickly, easily, and not disrupt uh, what the, you know, the most important thing is, is getting in and getting out and getting on the ice, which is obviously in season, that trumps everything. No doubt about it. I, I love it. I think that this is awesome. Now, let's go back to when you were talking about the alterations to the program. Mm -hmm. Because I think that a lot of people talk about what they do with monitoring, but nobody ever talks about what they do with the monitoring. Yeah. So you said you have your blue, green, yellow, red. Right. And you cut the volume for the red and the blue, you let them up 10% one or the other. But you also said you give them autonomy. Mm -hmm. Is there ever a time or a place where you remove that autonomy or is it always something that you like to leave in the student athlete's hands? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think... There, there can certainly be time and a place where I remove that autonomy. Uh, I think it's something that needs to be earned by the group. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be frank. I'll give you the example. A few weeks ago, uh, I was asking a few guys how they thought this sort of experiment was going. Did they like it? Did they not like it? And what I found was there's a few guys who weren't really doing anything with it. So I put it up on the screen. I say, okay, boys, here's what we got today, blah, 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 blah. Off they go. Now, I'm not holding 30 guys' hands, making sure they're adjusting loads or adding a set. Um, and I found out that there were not everybody, not a large group, but there were some guys that probably were not really making adjustments based on it. So the next time we went through this, next lift we had, before we started, I pulled them aside and I said, uh, this, is not, this is not an optional thing. This is exactly how we're going to do it. And if we're not doing this, then we're going to go back to you guys having no say in what we're doing. And we're going to do it exactly this way, whether you're tired or not tired or whatever. Um, and so I think that there's, it's, it's a give and take. It's a you know, push-pull all the time, right? It's, it's, um, I think human nature is, tends to be to, to find a shortcut and do a little less sometimes. And so... It's our job as coaches to, to guide people and make sure that we're, uh, we're in the right place. And when they earn the right to have autonomy, uh, ideally I want them to have that uh, because uh, an individual or a group who uh, is fully bought in, uh, is, they're going to they're gonna get a lot more out of what we're asking them to do than just us telling them, okay, it's today's three sets of five. I don't, you know, I don't care what you feel like. Or I don't, well, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get. Um, so you, you try to guide it in that direction. But there's certainly times where if it's not going the right direction or just because um, it, it may not be the right setting. Today, 
we had a lift today. We didn't even do it because this was a, a planned kind of deload week where we just had come came off travel a couple of overnights to Maine. We leave tomorrow to go to Notre Dame. Just a lot of travel and tight games. So this was scheduled deload and just move some stuff light and fast, and we won't worry about that. So it, it, it's a give and take. No doubt. I love it because that's really similar to how we do it here. I think that that's great. And I'm not just saying I love it because it's similar. I, I think that that's, you know, knock wood. We, we've seen some pretty good success with, with some of those things when you have the right people making the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to this additional evaluation you're using with these kids, we all also talk about how monitoring changes the training like daily or weekly, whatever it may be. But with some instances, it allows you to take a bigger step back and look at your programming. Has mm-hmm. it allowed you to do that? And if so, has there been any aha type moments or things where you're like, man, we should work on this. We shouldn't be doing that or anything like that. Yeah, uh, for sure. Data gives you the advantage of being able to take that 30,000 foot view, right? Um, One of the things that has been interesting to me, not not at any one moment, uh, but just over the course of time, constantly reviewing, constantly going back and looking at things, looking at trends, um, is starting to ask questions about how we train that, that I hadn't thought of before. For example, uh, the skating stride in ice hockey is is very different from sprinting, from gait, from you know land-based movement. Uh, not only sort of the the direction of the movement and rotational forces and things like that, uh, but the impulse time of you know the amount of time the skate blade is is making contact on the ice is very different from the amount of time the foot makes contact with the court in basketball. In you know, in sprinting or, or in any instance. Uh, now I'm trying to do some some research because there's not a lot out there as far as what that looks like on in the actual like acceleration phase. Is it actually more similar to land-based sprinting? Uh, certainly at top end speed, the skating stride is totally different from an impulse standpoint uh, from top end sprinting. I'm not entirely sure yet if it's vastly different in acceleration, say over you know 10 yards, which is really what we're looking at. I think it's more similar than not. But regardless, looking at a lot of these different jump metrics that we look at, starting to understand uh, why, for instance, we talked you know just briefly about adjusting adjusting drop jump height uh, based on contact time. Well, a lot of the you know, research, a lot of the, the conversation talks about uh, 250 milliseconds as being sort of this threshold. Well, I can tell you with hockey guys, at least my population, I have two guys who uh, are anywhere close to being at 250 or under consistently on drop jumps. Uh, everybody else is uh, 0.4, 0.5. It's not even close. They're on the ground way longer. Well, when we look at why that might be, again, going back to the skating stride, the foot is in contact with the ice so much longer. They don't have this elastic reactive, not many of them have this elastic reactive capability. Um, certainly, if it's not genetically hardwired, they're not, they're not getting that uh, on the ice in practice their entire life. It's just not something that's there. So they're 
what we see a lot of times is something like their um, their non-counter movement jump being very similar, very close in height to their full, you know, arm swing counter movement jump, which doesn't make sense unless you understand that these guys are all like one rep max force producing animals. They're not elastic in any way. So looking at how we train them from sort of a plyometric power standpoint in the off season and, and what I've what I used to do versus what I have shifted towards doing, we do way less um, elastic reactive work. Uh, one, because I think they don't handle it as well. It breaks them down a little quicker than, than a lot of other athletes. And two, it's not as an important component in their game as it would be or say it was when I worked with basketball, when I, when I was at Stanford and I worked with women's basketball. Totally different animal. So it has looking at some of the data and especially the jump stuff that has changed a little bit of how we, how we train, uh, and giving us a better understanding of what we're really looking for. No, that's, that's fantastic. And I think that the fact that you're using something that is simple, it was already there for the most part. It's not an extra like touch on each one of the student athletes. that would be abnormal. It's driving your training and it's helping you learn about the kids you're working with and to train them better. Mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic, dude. I think that's absolutely awesome. And I think that people are going to be able to look at this or listen if they're driving. I hope you're not looking at it. Um, <laughs> and, and to be like, well, wait, so monitoring doesn't actually have to be something that's this overblown crazy thing. We can get a lot of really good data about what we're doing and the kids are using, you know, we're using these things on simply quick in the weight room and, and run it. I love it. Yeah. And it's all uh, totally agree. It does not need to be super complex or super time consuming. I think what is important is that you, you're able to, that we are able to create systems that allow things to be efficient. That's, that's, That's the, the trick of it. I think, think a lot of people, people get uh, um, hung up on, okay, how do I, how do I implement this, and then what do I do with it? And there isn't necessarily a right answer, um, but I think what everybody who does a really good job with monitoring is able to do is create a system that makes things reproducible, that makes things efficient. Um, you know, you, you said it, it, it not adding a huge touch on the student athletes. They have so much going on. We, we demand so much of them that making sure that we make things as seamless as possible is huge. So that's the piece of, of the monitoring and, and data stuff that I think is crucial is to, to create a system that allows you to, to plug and play whatever thing it is that you want to monitor, whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and, a system that allows you to do that easily and a system that allows you to, to do something with that easily. You know, everybody always talks about, uh, you know, the problem with, with monitoring is and data is all, collection of all of this stuff and then you don't do anything with it. Well, it can be overwhelming, you know. You have all, you know, CSV files just for miles. How do you, what do you do with all of it? You know, when you first get into it, it's like, holy crap. Creating a system that allows you to easily pull out what you need and make Adjustments, changes, learn, whatever it is, seamlessly. I think that's the that's the biggest piece of it. 
No doubt about it. And I think that that's an awesome point to leave it on. Devin, I can't thank you enough. This is absolutely killer, man. People are going to love it. We're going to have this up Monday right after you guys are probably getting off the plane from South Bend, man. Safe travels out there. Appreciate you being on with us, bud. Thanks, Thanks dude. dude. I appreciate you doing awesome stuff. If, uh, if anybody has not gone to the conference, go. It's unbelievable. I will be there again. It's unreal. And uh, I appreciate everything you're doing, man. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Appreciate that, man. We'll be yeah. in touch real soon, all right, bud? Sounds good. All right, man. All the best. Talk to you soon. All right, man. See ya. See ya. And again, a huge thanks to Devin McConnell for spending the time to talk with us today. Guys, you know, this is just what the man does with his student-athletes. He's taking what he had access to. He's finding better ways to implement things. He's finding better ways to make sure that he's taking care of his kids. This is absolutely awesome. And on top of that, he's sharing with us exactly what he's doing, how he's doing it, and the changes he's making. Couldn't thank Devin enough for being so open and honest and sharing with all of us today. Absolutely killer stuff. And guys, as always, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Tweet it, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may be. Just trying to get great information out there to great coaches. And I think this talk is full of awesome information. So please share away. We really appreciate everything you guys are doing for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.